Oh, recently I have actually had several conversations with people here at Central about how we read the Bible. We talk a lot about the way our belief influences the world and the things that we believe, how we are advocates for social justice, how we work for change, how we, we align ourselves with the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed, and that that's what it means for us to be people of faith. Aaron talks a lot about how we were talking this morning in the Atheism for Lent group about how we hold our faith with an open palm rather than a closed fist. So we allow things to, to move us and shape us and change us, and that is kind of a, a more open perspective to the way we do faith and something that is integral to Central Avenue Church, I think. But I still hear from time to time, and several times recently, okay, so how is it then that we actually read the Bible? So instead of going through kind of a, a description of exactly how I read the Bible and how I think how I think we can approach that in a healthy way, I'd like for us to just jump into a story and kind of explore this together. But we're going to do that today with the story of Jonah. How many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah? Like, pretty much, yeah, Jonah's, Jonah's pretty familiar, right? It's one of the kind of those foundational stories you learn as, as a child in Sunday school. It's one of those, like, great miraculous stories that we come back to. So, what do you know about the story of Jonah? Like, give me like a brief synopsis of what happens in Jonah. Anybody who's here. I saw you all raise your hands and tell me you know Jonah. Go for it. Basically, Jonah is called by God to go and spread his word. Jonah says, nope. He goes on a boat. He gets thrown off the boat to swallow by a whale. He runs in the opposite And Jonah goes, right? And then Jonah listens. Yeah. So what's the crux of this story? What's the thing that we take home from what you've experienced growing up? If you're anything like me, that is that a guy got swallowed by a fish or a whale, but it's really a fish. A guy got swallowed by a fish and then got barfed out on a beach three days later. And that's totally awesome because it was three days and it points to Jesus. Right? So we've got Jonah's the foreshadowing for the resurrection. So it's really awesome that this guy could survive in the belly of a fish. That's what Jonah's about. I think there's more to the story than just this little piece of the puzzle. You just gave us kind of a, a big run-through of this overview that includes so much more than that, yet there's this one detail that we often get fixated on. And there's two ways that people get fixated on this story. On the one hand, we can come to this place and we can go, okay, so what this story is about is about how God is like revolutionarily doing things in the world that couldn't happen otherwise. So the important thing is that this story shows us that God does something miraculous. And so what we do with this story sometimes is we want to defend that Jonah actually is a person who got swallowed by a fish, and if that didn't happen, then the story means nothing. If that didn't happen exactly how the Bible spells it out, then, then none of it matters. And then that makes us think about the rest of the things in the Bible, too, other kinds of miraculous stories. What's going on with all of those? 
Now, there's a flip side to that equation where we can focus on the story of Jonah and we can go, okay, look, we know scientifically that people can't survive in a fish for three days. Like, it's just impossible, so that didn't happen. And so we can get caught up in arguing that this was not an actual event that took place, and we'll defend that tooth and nail. That the the better way to read this is not that it happened literally, but that this didn't happen. And that's what we take away. And in both of these perspectives, we get fixated on the question of, did it happen? When we stay there in that place of, did it happen?, we miss everything else that's going on in this story. So what I want us to do is I want us to jump into Jonah and read a little bit of what's going on. And we're going to stop in a few places and talk about what's happening. I'm going to read out of the NRSV, so if you want to follow along, you have the Bibles in your pew in front of you. But we're going to start right at the beginning of Jonah in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So first of all, Nineveh. What is this place, Nineveh? It's just this like brief thing kind of mentioned at the beginning. We don't get any specific explanation of what's going on here. It says, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were an empire at the time that this story became prevalent, and the Assyrians had a long history of conquest and conquering in Israel. The Assyrians had come in, they had deported people out, they had come in and they had set up barricades around a city to starve people out of a city. They had come in and laid siege and waged war against Israel. The Assyrians were the epitome of the enemy of Israel. And so we have this beginning of this story where God tells Jonah not just to go to some random place, but to go into the heart of the enemy and speak to them. So a lot of times when we read this story, we, we get caught up in, in seeing this as a story about disobedience. Um, you may have heard that before, that Jonah disobeyed God, and that at the end of the day, You know, he comes back around and he finally does what God wants, but this story is about the way that we disobey God. And I think that also misses what the people who are hearing this story for the first time, the people who are reading this generations afterwards, would have thought. So imagine if you're the people who have this history of oppression from this great empire, and you see one of your own people who stands up and refuses to go there. You're probably cheering him on, right? Like, Jonah's the good guy in this story from the very beginning. Like, God says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah's like, no way. Not doing it. We get this picture of Jonah running, and it says twice here in just these first few verses that Jonah flees from the presence of God. 
Jonah flees from the presence of God. This is another amazing, beautiful thing that happens right off the bat in this story of Jonah. In this ancient Mideast context, the way that religion was practiced was a kind of local tribal identity. You know, each, each city, each town, each territory, each kingdom or nation had their own god who was god over that. Maybe they had several gods, but they were local gods with limited kind of constraint and power. Something different happens here in this story of Jonah. From the very beginning, we see that Jonah, when he's confronted with this task, thinks that he can flee from God. He can get away from this god. Jonah's story is going to show us something different. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea and threatened the ship to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship, and he laid down. He was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps God will spare us, and through that we won't perish. The sailors said to one another, Let's cast lots so that we can know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and they fell on Jonah. And then he said to them, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Jonah responds, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of God of heaven, who made the seas and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it because this is a great storm that has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Don't make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. So they picked Jonah up and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's a big chunk, but there's, there's this really amazing thing going on here. We have this amazing thing that I think happens in this story where Jonah, we should expect to be this good guy, right? Jonah's the Israelite. He's the protagonist of this story. But constantly, over and over again, we're seeing a different picture played out for us. Jonah runs initially away from God because he doesn't want to do what God's asking him to do. And yet, we see that he gets swallowed by a fish, and, and God brings him back. There's no kind of running from God. But in this part of this passage, something else amazing happens. Jonah, this protagonist of this story, is set up in a little bit of a different way. He gets on this boat, and this huge storm comes, and instead of dealing with what's happening, he just goes to sleep down below. 
At the same time, it's the other people on the ship, these non-Israelite pagan worshipers who are praying out to their gods. We see more spirituality out of these other people than we do out of God's servant. And then something totally different happens when they kind of decide that Jonah's probably the one at fault here. Jonah tells them, I'm a Hebrew, and this God that I serve is the God who created the waters and the land. And the people go, holy crap. Like, this is, this is, a, this is a different kind of God. And then we see in that moment where Jonah lays asleep in the cargo hold, where Jonah is running and fleeing, we have these pagan worshipers, these people who are outside of God's group of people, the Israelites, who worship, who pray, who don't want to throw Jonah overboard. These are the kinds of things that we'd expect to see from the Israelite in the story. They're looking to make peace, to do no harm. They're exemplifying this call that God has to God's people more than Jonah is. If we fast forward to the end of this story, something really interesting and unique happens. In chapters 3 and 4 of this book, which we're not going to read specifically, but we're just going to kind of go through a little overview here. Chapters 3 and 4 of this book give us something entirely different happening. Jonah gets swallowed by this whale. He prays the prayer that Max read earlier, and then he gets thrown up onto this dry land. It's only then that he goes to Nineveh, and he says, Nineveh, repent, or in 40 days God's going to destroy this city. So he's walking through the city preaching this message, and the people start to respond. They put on ashes and sackcloths, these signs of repentance in the ancient world. And then the story tells us that ultimately this message gets to the king of Nineveh, and the king himself sets out a decree in the land that everyone, every person, every animal who lives in the kingdom should put on sackcloths and ashes and repent to the Lord. And we have this amazing picture where this kingdom, this, uh, this conquering force which has been set up against Israel for all of time, turns from their ways, and an entire city of enemies acts more like God's people than the Israelites. Well, what do you think Jonah's response is to all of this? It's interesting. This is why I love the book of Jonah so much, because the book ends in such an unusual way. We love this story of reconciliation that we see throughout the Bible. Um, We love the way that God shapes and moves and redeems people. It's our story because we've experienced that, because we're in the process of experiencing this renewal. So this story has an unusual ending because Jonah, chapter 4, says this, this repentance of the city was displeasing to Jonah. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, isn't this what I said This is why I fled and ran away from the beginning, for I knew that you were gracious and merciful. I knew that you were a God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew that you were a God ready to relent from punishing. He says, now, 
Take my life, Lord, because I would rather be dead than live in a world where these Assyrians can join and enter into the kingdom. Like Jonah runs away because he knows how merciful God is. This, I think, is absolutely amazing because I think it speaks to this human truth of where we find ourselves. Um, This story of Jonah isn't a story of the perfect model that we should follow. It's the story of us as we are, that we carry wounds and we've been injured and we carry this baggage from relationships that have hurt us, from from people who've hurt us, from family who've hurt us, from political parties who have hurt us. Whatever your story is, this is something we can identify with. And sometimes it's really hard to let those things go. Sometimes we don't want those people who have hurt us to experience the fullness of life and mercy and grace. We get upset when we see good things happening to those who've wounded us. What I love about this story is it doesn't tie everything up nice and neat in a little bow. This story ends in this really bizarre place where Jonah three times talks about it being better for him to be dead than to have to exist in this world with the Assyrians. And God kind of sits there with Jonah, and God lets him be exactly where he is. But it doesn't even wrap up nice and neat at the end. The last words of this book are a question. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? He said, yes, I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh, this great city, which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? Shouldn't I be concerned for these people? And it leaves it right there. The story ends with Jonah being upset and with God saying, you're concerned about little things that happen here. How much more should we be concerned? How much more should I, as God, be concerned that these people have value, have meaning, their life has purpose, regardless of what has been done? I don't really know a story that ends in a way that is so provocative to me that really kind of identifies with where, where we can find ourselves and doesn't try and fix it. Jonah ends in this place, and he doesn't get all his things tied up. There's no resolution. He doesn't come back and say, oh, God, you're right. I'm sorry. Let me be this great servant. It just ends, and Jonah gets to be exactly where he's at in this process, and yet we get this picture of a God who cares, a God who is willing to pursue to the ends of the earth, Jonah, who runs as far away as he can, and the people who fall even further behind, um, these Ninevites who, who want nothing to do with God, who persecute God's people. God pursues them and wants a change of heart. He wants us to grow. He wants us to move. What does this mean for how we read the Bible? You know, I always use the story of Jonah to talk about the way that I read the Bible now. Because at the end of the day, when I'm looking at these ancient stories, I'm just not concerned anymore with the question of, did it happen? You know, what I want to know is why these stories were so important 
why these Hebrews told these stories to their children and their grandchildren, why they, they felt that these were the best expression of who God was and how they were coming to understand the way that God interacted with and related to the world and to all of humanity. And if we get stuck in the picture, in the question of did it happen, we don't have time to really unwrap and unpack what's going on. You know, these stories are the stories of people trying to explain the unexplainable, trying to understand who God is and write down their very real experiences with the divine. So what is this story of Jonah if it's not about a guy being swallowed by a fish? It's about, it's about God's presence. This story is a revolutionary story that God is everywhere, in everything. Jonah can't flee from God because God is everywhere. It's not just that God pursues Jonah to the ends of the earth. It's that God doesn't exist in this little tribal area. This God is God of all and over everyone. And it's a story about that healing and redemption. That God wasn't just here for the Hebrew people, for the Israelites, that God is here for all of humanity. God is redeeming and recreating this entire world, everything around us. It's radically inclusive. These ideas were so new in the ancient world. And the story of Jonah is about something else, that our worst enemies might be more receptive to God than we are. What do we do with a story like that? And so let me end by asking you a question. Where do you find yourself in this story of Jonah? Do you identify with Jonah? Is God stretching you to be more fully an agent of grace in the world? Are there ways that that seems difficult? Is God stretching you to lay down some kind of aversion you have towards an enemy or towards somebody who's hurt you? Or do you identify with Nineveh? Have you wounded somebody? Is there something that weighs heavy on your heart? Is God stretching you to put on sackcloths and ashes? Is God stretching you to rebuild relationships, to offer apologies? Or maybe you identify with Jonah in a different way. Maybe you carry a wound that's so deep that right now you just need to attend to yourself. The last thing that you need is somebody challenging you to push through and to forgive and to make wounds okay. That's where Jonah is at the end of our story. And sometimes it's an okay place for us to be. There's no right answer in how we connect with this story and how we identify. There's no right answer in how we read this specific 
story. It's my hope, it's my prayer this morning that regardless of where you find yourself and how you might identify with this story, with Jonah, with Nineveh, with the king, it's my prayer that you would know that you would feel in your soul a grace from a God who loves us enough to continue to pursue us when we sit still or when we move forward, regardless of where you find yourself. This is my prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, God of mercy and God of life, we find ourselves in so many different places. Um, We find ourselves in the midst of so many struggles, in the midst of so many joys. God, we come to you this morning exactly where we are. We come to you looking for a place of connection, looking for a place of hope. Um, God, thank you for these stories, for this, this revelation of who the very end, uh, a God who's not willing for us to stand by and be idle. God, you push us to transform and shape the world, and you stand by with us no matter how we respond. Move us and shape us. Change this community. God, allow us to embody fully what it means to bring your light and your kingdom into this place. Amen. Well, I'm curious what, what in this story of Jonah connects with you? What stands out to you in the story of Jonah? And would you be willing to share that? Or, of course, ask any questions. Well, first and foremost, I have to say, I, I so appreciate you sharing this this morning because I never, of course, heard it from that perspective. I've always heard it from the perspective about obedience. So it's an interesting perspective to think about um, you know, from Jonah's perspective about getting angry and not really understanding. Um, he's focused kind of like on, his, on himself and his own perspective. Then God's saying to him, what about these other people? You're not thinking about that. Yeah. So, yeah, right. I've, never used, I've never heard the story of Jonah used in this uh, understanding. So, Cool. Yeah, I mean, because it's interesting, right? Because then the story becomes not just about disobeying God, but it becomes this story about God's radical inclusion. Like, God is the one who stretches the bounds to include the people who absolutely don't deserve it. And it's, it's just so unusual for, you know, what you'd want to hear if you're someone like Jonah. Yeah, that's all. I have to add, though, too, it's funny for me personally, because I just um, saw the movie Shock, and I was talking to my mom about it, who's, you know, definitely more conservative. And, you know, I don't know if you know about the whole thing, a lot of controversy about, you know, should you go see it or not. But the point is, I think that this is another example of just a way to to reach people, the God trying to reach people, that Mm. people, if they don't agree exactly that you should reach them in one way, Mm. that they're they're not being reached. So for me, this really, like, it spoke to me this morning, so thank you, Bob. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. How many of you guys read The Shack? Like, it's actually really interesting. I remember it was, like, super controversial in the church that I went to when it came out, but I loved it because it's kind of this, it's this, like, unique exploration of who God is that doesn't fit exactly with what you expect from God, from our, like, typical 
perspective, but it's it's awesome. I have not seen the movie, but um, so I thought this was interesting because I wish I would have known this before because I actually wrote a song about this story, mm. and um, because a few years ago I had come across you know the idea that the story ended in such a weird way, and I thought that was cool because you know from an artist's perspective it can kind of leave interpretation open to like what actually happened. Um, so anyways, my thought was um, that um, something that I wrote about in the song specifically had to do with the LGBT issue in the church and my past experience with me leaving a church because of that. And uh, I, I started to find myself getting bitter, you know, towards those people that, that had those, you know, different theological stances. And so I wrote the song kind of exploring the idea that... Um, at first, it was kind of like, you know, woe is me, victim, kind of like, what are, they, what are they thinking, what are they doing? And then I realized that we all play the part of Jonah at some point, like you were kind of alluding to, is, you know, where do you fit in that story? And I think the point is that we all fit that, because if you get so disgruntled about even the things that you feel are justice, then you can easily become the, the villain in the story. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's just my thought, is that we're all, we all kind of fill, fill the role of, of Jonah, and even though it might be what God wants to do, we want to feel justified in our humanity and how we feel. Yeah. Yeah, and Jonah's this weird, weird story, right, where, like, the challenge, I think, is that maybe your deepest enemies are more connected to God or open to experiencing God than we are. And that's, you know, if we think about that, especially in our, our political climate right now, which has come up over and over again in, in this community, is like, what does it mean for us to let go of that righteousness that we hold about our perspective and where we are, that maybe the people who have hurt us the most are more in touch with where uh, uh, a way of connecting with God. I don't know, it's this weird kind of unexpected thing in this story that maybe we don't have it all figured out. I feel like in reading a lot of the Old Testament stories in Bible study, like there's so many stories where God does things that are just bananas, like Aaron likes to say, would you ever let God babysit your kid? Of course you wouldn't, because he'd be like, well, I told him not to run in the street, he didn't listen. Like, but this story, I feel like, it struck me that it very much, like, I related to it as a parent. Like, it's like, okay, I told you not to do that, and then you disobeyed me, and then you're like, all right, I'm going to have a fish swallow you, and you're going to see how you like that, and you just, like, the frustration, and also, it, you know, at the end, kind of getting back to that point of trying to teach empathy and trying to teach, you know, where, like, why would I not care about these people, like, and trying to get him to understand that perspective. Like, it, it just kind of seemed like a more, aside from being swallowed by a giant fish for three days, like a more reasonable kind of, you know, father-god figure. Kind of, I don't know, I like that. Yeah, right? It's when you, when you realize that Jonah gets swallowed by a whale in one verse, he says a little hymn and gets thrown back up in the very next one, and, like, the whole rest of the book is about something different. It's, it is. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, 
I, Desiree is not here today, but she always tells me that she loves so much when we end our service in a benediction. So um, let's do that this morning. Um, would you stand with me? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace this day and always. Amen.